Those bullets can be unhelpful thoughts. And you don't have to stay hidden in your bunker all the time. You could step out because you have Trinitarian love. You've been given everything you need for life and for godliness. And not to mention the armor of God. I'm not talking about being reckless, but I'm saying more often than not on any given regular day, if an unhelpful thought is bombarding you, you probably have what it takes to maybe deflect it or reframe it. And so that we're now we're back to Viktor Frankl. What are you going to do in the space? That was Jim Fadling, and this is the Things Above podcast. My guest today on the Things Above podcast is Jem Fadling. That's Jem, G-E-M, not Jim, that's me. G-E-M, Jem, she is a founding partner of Unhurried Living, Inc. It's a nonprofit that trains people to rest deeper, live fuller, and lead better. She's also a certified life coach and trained spiritual director who coaches women at the intersection of spiritual leadership and soul care. Jem is the host of her own podcast, the I Can Do That podcast as well as the co-author of What Is Your Soul Love, a great book she wrote with her husband, Alan. And she's the sole author of her new book, Hold That Thought, Sorting Through the Voices in Our Heads, which is fantastic. And we're going to talk about that primarily today, maybe some other things. But Jim, thank you for being on the Things Above podcast. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's great to be with you. It's, It's great. We have known each other I'm thinking almost 10 years, maybe more. Oh, I think it's a little it's, less than 10. I don't know. I lose do track you, of time. Do you? Because Alan is at one of the very first oh, maybe. Uh, apprentice gatherings, which you're going to be uh, attending and speaking at in this next upcoming one. But uh, yeah, and I don't. we had lunch, but weren't you with him? Okay, I'm digressing. I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure. I've been with him every time. I, thought... I love the apprentice <laughs> gathering. I've been there at least six times, I think. Yeah. Maybe um, maybe my memory is wrong. Maybe it was maybe the fourth or fifth. I don't know. But I remember we went to La Galette and had a great lunch. Yes. And so, yes. And you guys have been great friends and partners in formation work. So wonderful that you're with us. And I love this new book. We're going to get into it. My opening question is one I ask everyone on the podcast who's written a book. It's a very basic question. Why did you write this book? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm imagining my the preliminary answer is no different than other authors is we're usually writing the book that we need, right? Right. Writing to ourselves. We're writing for ourselves. (laughs) So I did, um, in the last handful of years, I got sort of enamored with this idea of thought work. What's going on up there in my brain and why does it get me into trouble so often? And I just started to learn, you know, more and more we're talking about neuroplasticity now and we have the ability to change those grooves. And then, of course, this verse, Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So my curiosity just sent me on a journey. And so in some ways, it's sharing some of my own learnings. But if, if and when you purchase the book, which I hope you do, um, you'll find that I open up with a story. And I'm wondering if it's okay if I share a bit of that story as an answer to this. Yeah, is it the story about the the panic attack? Oh yeah, sorts? yeah. Okay, that was going to be my next question. But you ju- you go. We started unhurried living about seven years ago, and I could say in one 
on one hand, we started it from nothing, but of course we built it on decades of living this formational life. So we started this organization uh, with beautiful intentions to help people exactly the way we're helping them right now. But what was interesting about that process is that um, my perfectionism, my ambition, uh, my drive got awakened in a new way that hadn't really been tapped into in recent history. And as that would broil up about once a year, I would end up feeling very stressed, very anxious, and like um, where it made me pause. And I would mm. go to prayer and I'd say, okay, Lord, something's not right here. What am I going to do? So I would draw on all my formational practices. I would talk to my spiritual director and I would, and I would calm down and aim again at the next year in another way. Well, four times in a row, I did this. And I guess there was just a newfound energy that I had. And because we were building something together, my husband and I, unhurried living, um, again, my drive was awakened and it kept becoming unwieldy. And so the fourth time it happened, I was left with about a month of uncontrollable anxiety. When I say uncontrollable, I mean, you know, my heart was beating fast. Um, I couldn't figure out how to calm it down. And so I finally called my therapist because now I'm thinking, oh no, I mean, as a joke, I mean, this is horrible branding, right? For Unhurried Living. <laughs> One of the founders of Unhurried Living is having an anxiety attack. That doesn't seem right. So I call my therapist and I found, find out what's going on. And he, he said, well, I can help you with this in one to three sessions. And I was like, beautiful, let's do it. And he did. So I learned some things about adrenaline and about my nervous system and ways in which I was heightening it. Suffice to say, by the fourth time that it happened, I started to really wake up and my prayer became much more heartfelt and very central. And I said, Lord, I'm evidently missing something here. Can you show me an, a new refreshed way to make my way into my work that doesn't include um, this much anxiety and this much striving on my part? So it is a little, as I said, a little embarrassing to open up the conversation with this, that I found <laughs> myself on the wrong end of my own anxiety. But in some ways, it's also not a surprise because I struggled with anxiety pretty much my whole life. I felt like it was my thorn in the flesh. Well, and I love the transparency and honesty in the book, and you do that throughout. And uh, it's one of the things that I think is so appealing because... Um, we relate to that, you know, you're, you're being honest and many readers, I, I'm certain have had the same feelings at whatever level, but like, for example, you're able to, to ascertain the thoughts behind it. That's where you're kind of heading. And I, maybe I'm jumping ahead. Yes, you, that's where but, I'm going. Yeah. But, I, but yeah, I mean, I, I love how you, you, um, you know, I think it's really important that we name things. That's why in, in the Good and Beautiful books, I try to name the false narrative. Yes. Because if you can name it, then you can say, okay, wait a minute, let me step back and see if, do I think that? Like, do I think God's an angry judge? Do I think this? And then you can, you know, work with it. But I love how you uh, just name the thoughts that were behind that anxiety attack. And, and as you write them out, you said, one is, you're not ready. Oh, yeah. You'll never keep up. Yeah. What are you thinking? You can't do this. Yeah. There isn't enough time. 
what if it doesn't work? And I, as I read those, I went, oh, I've had all of those thoughts <laughs> many times. I mean, you were just sort of uh, sneaking into my own mind there because I've thought exactly those, as I imagine, as I said, every listener has. Yeah. But tell us about, I mean, how did you get to the point where you could articulate these are the thoughts behind what's going on? Yeah, well, um, what happened there in continuation of that story, once I got some tools and calmed down, and um, a, a couple months later, we went on our 34th wedding anniversary trip to Italy and Spain. And as much as it was supposed to be a romantic getaway, in my heart, it was a pilgrimage because I knew, you know, the history over there and the beauty that I was going to experience. And I formalized that prayer that I just said. And I said, Lord, I need a new way. I'm asking you in these two weeks, would you please meet me and just refresh me in such a way that I could come back and re-engage in a new way. And, you know, I've prayed prayers like this before with time limits and stuff before, and it doesn't always work out. But in this case, God was so gracious and he really did meet me in ways that sort of turn me upside down. And I have to say that even to this day, what I received in the cathedrals in Italy is still informing how mm. I'm living. That's how potent it was for me. So the first, um, one of the first places we ended up was the cathedral in Florence. And I uh, made my way to one of the little side chapels where they keep the bread for communion in this beautiful sort of chalice thing. And on the wall behind it was a wall size painting of the last supper. And so you're sitting in this very quiet place on dark brown pews with just a handful of people. And I was just quiet for about 20 minutes. And of course I'm hearing the phrase that I hear every Sunday at our church, you know, this is my body given for you, or this is the body of Christ given for you. Of course, in Italy, I'm sitting there in front of the Last Supper, so I'm hearing it very personally. Jim, this is my body given for you. And then these added words, stop pushing, stop trying, stop angsting. And I realized right then and there, that's exactly what I had been doing. I was pushing, I was trying, and I was angsting. And the Spirit was gracious to name what I was doing and to say, why don't you stop that? <laughs> Yeah. And so it was very gentle, but you know how when you're ready for the words, it feels like it's, it's like a really holy, gentle kind of slap in the face. I love that. Yeah, and, and you mentioned like this was a pilgrimage in a way, and, and yeah. you had, you'd put yourself in a position where you could hear that word, like you were ready to hear that word. I was. And then it came. Uh, that's what I love about the story is I, that's been my experience with God as well is yeah. quite often I'm too distracted or hurried. There we go. Unhurried living, right? <laughs> I mean, I'm, I, I'm, busy and all those. But when I get myself in a space to hear from God and I'm ready for that and I'm receptive to hear whatever it is, that usually my experience is what happened with you. And it was tailored just to you, like where you were, um, which is a beautiful, a beautiful thing. And so you were able to say, okay, this is where I'm, this is where I'm pushing. And so then keep keep going with your story because yeah. it's not over, right? Yeah. yeah, there's more there's more bits and pieces to it. I guess I should say too, right before I ended up at, in that chapel part, I did make my way to the very top of the dome where there's a 360 degree view. And the very and the very first invitation that I was given was actually to gratitude. 
So as I'm looking out, I'm trying to be excited. I'm in Florence. I should feel something, but I was just tired. And I felt like the spirit was just saying, why don't you, why don't you just give thanks? And so I looked out over all those rooftops, those red rooftops. And um, I just said, thank you. And something inside of me shifted even right then. So I told you, I was so ready. I realized that not everybody can have such a quick response when they're asking, but in some ways it was four years in the coming, right? Of my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I was ready. So I make my way back downstairs. I go into the chapel and I hear, stop pushing, stop trying it, stop angsting. Well, a few days later, now we're in Assisi and I'm in yet another cathedral, the cathedral of St. Francis. And I'm walking through just like everybody else, very contemplative. It's quiet. People are moving slow, taking in the beauty. And out of nowhere, I hear another phrase. And I'm giving full credit to the grace of the Holy Spirit because, again, I was just open. It wasn't necessarily that I was asking a question right then, but I heard this. Um, You know, you already have what you need. You know, you may have forgotten about it or you may have lost it or maybe it got covered up, but you have it. And of course, that Second Peter 1, 3, which says his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our mm-hmm. knowledge of Love him that verse. who called us by <laughs> his own glory and good. I mean, that verse is, every word of that verse is so beautifully so good. powerful. Yeah. So I was just reminded as I was walking through, you know, you have what you need. And I felt like God was just saying, yeah, sure, you've been pushing, trying, and angsting, but I've put within you that which you can make your way forward. So I felt just cared for and enabled, you know, and seen. Mm. And so I started, you know, a few days later, now we're in another part of Italy and I'm sitting in the backyard of this castle that we were staying at. I know this sounds so glorious and it was, um, but yeah, I'm a little jealous. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's one of those once in a lifetime sort of, you, you know, you use your miles and you make yourself go to Italy. So I'm sitting in the backyard of a castle and I'm journaling and piecing all this together. And I'm realizing God's invitation is right. His body, this is my body given for you. He gave his very life for me. And he's asked me to stop pushing, trying and angsting. And he's reminded me that I already have what I need by the spirit. And so then I piece all this together kind of with my thought work. You know, you're talking about narratives. I really believe in narratives. You know, you can have a circumstance and no matter what's going on in the circumstance, there are multiple stories you can write about what's going on and any one of them can lead to any number of unhelpful thoughts or emotions. Mm-hmm. And so my this book is me trying because I'm a practitioner, you know, I'm a spiritual director, I'm a coach, and I believe in possibilities and, and formation. And so I'm like, well, then how does this actually work? When it says be transformed, obviously, I'm in a cooperative process. What does that look like? So this was my effort to try to describe that. And you've done it so well. I mean, that's, I, I love, yeah, it's very practical. You are a practitioner, as am I. Um, my mind and your mind, I think, go in the same way. It's always like, well, okay, how do we live this out? What, is it, how, what does this mean for tomorrow morning when exactly. I'm trying to, to live into this, into this reality? And, and I, you know, like I said to you before we started off the air, I, and there's really not a better book for this podcast. I mean, this is what we're doing is say, your thoughts really matter. Yeah. And we are called to set our minds on things above. Yeah. Um, and as you, and then you, of course, you quote the other great passage from Paul, but whatever's true and beautiful and good. And, you know, think on these things, which is at the heart of what, um, because I have the same experience, Jim. I, I, 
I've really come to believe the importance of our thoughts. I mean, I remember when Dallas just said when he was when back long in the 90s, I was his TA, and I remember him yeah. just saying, we live at the mercy of our ideas. And I went, oh my, wait, what? Hold on, let me write that one down. Yeah. And I've never gotten past it. <laughs> I can't, and I can't put it any, any better. I mean, we live at the mercy of our ideas. And I think that's at the heart of your book is saying, and I love how you, you state very clearly, look, you are not your thoughts. That's a very simple but profound point that you make early in the book. Yeah. We're not our thoughts, and yet we have them. And our thoughts are, well, they're good. We have these minds that can think things. And so you, you, I, I think that the quote that you have at the beginning, the Viktor Frankl oh. quote in, in the epitaph, yeah. which I'll read that for listeners right now, but it's, it, his, what he said was, between stimulus and response, there is a space. In that space lies our power to choose. And in our choice lies our growth and freedom. So you've obviously chosen that for an epitaph of the whole book. Like, a, And for those who don't know what that means, epigraph, excuse me. Yeah. Epitaph. Oh, dude, there's, <laughs> there's no epitaph. Fun, there's a fun, there's a, yeah, there's a fun little Freudian right there. Epigraph. Yeah. Uh, which is, you know, authors, we look for a quote that is symbolic or like we what we want to say for the whole book. What, tell us about that quote and and what that meant to you and what it means to you for the book. Oh yeah. Well in, on the epigraph page, I do have that as well as the Romans 12 verse be transformed mm-hmm. because I'd, I'd like to say that, well, in the book, I introduce um, a practice called notice, discern and respond. I call it NDR. NDR. Right. NDR. I know I like to have yeah, little like things like PTA for pushing, trying and angsting and NDR. Um, <laughs> it helps us. <laughs> So we're Christians. We have to have acronyms. I just think it, yeah, yeah, it's the way to go. So, um, yeah, I love that quote there because what it means is we have agency. I get to choose. So things, stimulus and response, it talks about things are happening in our lives. Yes, they are, you know, unhelpful, helpful, good, bad, ugly, whatever. And then usually it goes stimulus and then reaction. Right. But I love how this quote slows down and it's like, wait, there's a space in there. The space, right. And so, of course, again, being in the formation realm, I love to know that there's a space because now what can I do in that space? And there's multiple things you can do between stimulus and response, but one of them is notice, discern, and respond to what's going on instead of just react. I mean, yeah, I love that. And because I think most of us are living with the stimulus response as if that's almost bang, bang. It's so fast. Yeah. We don't stop and think. So when someone, let's say someone makes an unkind gesture towards us yeah. and then immediately there's a reaction like that, the stimulus. And then my response is, Hey, you, or whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm just saying, you know, stuff that happens in daily life, but that's little space when you can go, okay, that that's the stimulus. But then Let's take a little space for some grace here and see what what is what is the thought that's going on. And that's what I love about the book is that you you're able to to help us slow that down, yeah, and widen that gap or that space where we can stop and go. Okay, let's talk about the things that are happening. Yeah, let's literally hold that thought. Yes. Hey, there you go. Great title for a book. I know. I love um, that. I love that. So you you write on page six at the onset of a triggering event, I easily move into a series of thoughts. And then, of course, you name them like in this on page six, you mentioned the anxious controller joins in chorus with the inner critic. And these thoughts lead to unhelpful emotions. I thought that was really helpful because 
what you're saying is there's a triggering event, right? Mm -hmm. And then here comes a series of thoughts. And then these, these kind of thoughts or voices are almost personification of these, these ideas. They come to the forefront and they, they say things to us. How did you come up with those ideas of anxious control or inner critic? You also have positive thinker and yeah. passive spectator, but how did that come up for you? To personify the voices, I think was helpful just to give us one step back. Because there's another voice that, that I mentioned, it's not one of the seven, but it's another aspect of ourselves. And we labeled it the inner observer. It's just, it's just maybe another way. If you wanted to, you could say true self, I suppose. The true self can take a step back and really look. Mm. But one kind of psychological term is inner observer. And that's that part of us which can take one step back from the whole thing and do its best to just look objectively, give to give that space. And so once I learned how to sort of have that sensation of um, inner observer, then I was able to look back out and go, oh, well, what are those thoughts that are coming in? And I won't lie, this is not an Enneagram book by any stretch. But I do have to say, in order to name these, I, I kind of referenced, I did kind of make reference to the Enneagram to just make mm, sure that, because mm -hmm. you can probably see, we don't have to talk about the Enneagram right now, but you know what I'm saying? Like the stressed achiever has aspects of maybe yes. the, the three or the one and the positive the three, thinker yeah. could be the mm -hmm. seven or the nine. The, mm -hmm. you know, the anxious controller could be a combination of the six or the eight. So when I was naming and coming up with these, of course, they were all my experience, but I was trying to think around the circle as well to make sure that I felt like I touched at least general themes of the kinds of thoughts that we all have. Right. Um, and I didn't even, I did, just so you're clear, I didn't mention the Enneagram in the book. You're getting this for free. Um, and I didn't go down <laughs> that route at all. Um, when I was unpacking them, but when I was naming them, um, I did kind of give reference to that. But as you look at the list, don't you feel like they're kind of in, um, yeah. thematically broad enough that we probably all have had at least a few of these thoughts before? Yeah. And I think that's true of the Enneagram. I mean, I, I, yeah. I experience parts of all of the nine yeah. types. I mean, in their, their days, I feel like a nine and then I'm a four and then I'm a three <laughs> and then I'm a six today. Or I mean, so, I mean, I, I know that true Enneagram people would think they would oh, cringe on what you just yeah, said. <laughs> no, but I think that we all experience, well, my wife has a great quote. Uh, you'll like this. She just said one day, some days I think I'm, I like, I'm the best of all of the, the nine types. <laughs> I thought, That's bold. You know, she, she goes, why not, why not aspire to be the best of all nine types? But anyway, yes. no, but I think what you're saying is true is that all of these thoughts, everybody experiences them. And I think that the universality of of these different, like anxious controller, who really doesn't know that? Everyone kind of knows that. Yes. And um, the inner critic, oh my gosh, who who doesn't have that at times, sometimes overwhelmingly. Yes. Um, and I just think that's helpful because you're, you're, the book is giving us a place to sit back and say, all right, let's, let's process this. Let, let's move into that space between the stimulus and the response and think about what voices am I Am I listening to? What, how am I being influenced? And we're going to get there, Jim, I promise, in a second, oh. because you and I end up w very much in the same camp of it, that it's the Trinitarian reality. It's the love of God that is at the core, which you do so well. But I just want to quickly hear from you, because I loved the fact that you brought in, in uh, Henry Nouwen's, you know, I am what I do. I am what mm -hmm. others say about me. I am what I have. I would even add, I am how I look. But I mean, those are really, you know, those are huge, uh, the great lies that, that, um, 
speak to us. And then, and then you bring in Thomas Keating's program for happiness, which about power control, esteem, affection, security, safety, which, and all of those, um, and it gets really deep. So maybe we don't want to get too deep into it, but, um, what made you want to bring in both now and in Keating and their ways of formulating these things? Yeah, well, actually, the reason they came in is because um, I had, I, I was familiar with them. I have used those ideas in different workshops I had done. So they, I kind of live with that, those trios anyway, because I think they do get down into the center of a lot of our issues. So um, when I was looking at pushing and trying and exiting, because once I came back from Italy, of course, I mean, I had those moments, but I, I was then kind of on a mission to to live this out. I was, I was encouraged in a certain way, and I thought, okay, well, let's go home and try to figure. So, so now as I'm thinking through, well, the invitation was to, was to stop pushing, stop trying, and stop angsting. And as I lived with those over the few months, I actually started to realize that I could overlay those on top of Nowen and Keating. And so that's what I did. And so I suppose yeah. you could you could argue that they could work with any one of them, but I chose to do it this way. My idea for pushing goes with Nowen's I am what I do and Keating's mm-hmm. need for control. Right. So it's kind of like these words to me were just the spirit's way of going down into that same center place where all my instincts live. <laughs> and we're saying, you know, let's not push. We don't need to push. You know, try yeah. trying. I overlaid with um, now and I am what I have and Keating's need for safety and security. I'm trying to get things right. And then angsting. Um, I am, I put with, I am what others say about me and my need for value and esteem. So to me, they just became another term for the same thing they were saying. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Did that, so did you, you caught that as I was writing? Yeah. I mean, it was really, uh, yeah, it was great to see them come together. I've thought about them a lot and it's like, oh, wow, she's put them, really synthesized these ideas together. And and you write, you you say that these are built in so humans can survive and thrive. So I, I like to say that some of these are sort of factory loaded into our souls. Like we, we, we have a way of in the kingdom of this world of figuring out, all right, how am I going to establish significance? Like, how do I, how do I prove that I matter, that I'm valuable? And I am what I do. I am what others say. I am what I have or how I look. And then power, control, affection, esteem, all of these securities, they're built in, in a way. There are ways for us independent, isolated from God to try to figure out how to survive. But so now we can get to the fun part for you and me, uh, at least it's where I really like, okay, here she goes. And, and here's another key thought. And this one I think is, uh, it's big in the book and it's, it's just a huge reality. Um, and you state it this way, God is not elsewhere. Mm, yes. And then you connect that with the thought of you already have what you need. And so you put those two together, you connect these truths in contrast to now and false identities and Keating's program for happiness. I just love how you connect the dots because you end up there at this place. God is not elsewhere. And that is the answer to those false ways. Yeah. You wrote the book. So you tell me about this. (laughs) I may be way off, but that's where I was going. No, I love, I'm so pleased because you know how when you write a book, you've done it multiple times. This is only my second time, but there's just this roller coaster of, oh, this is great. Oh, maybe people won't understand it or like it or whatever. Oh, this is amazing. I hope someone reads it, you know. Right. And so even just to hear you 
having read it and and be able to say that back to me really means a lot actually so yeah the the god is not elsewhere came to me out of just it, it's a classic dallas willard you know um god is as close as the atmosphere right like the like a fish in water like i'm walking around in atmosphere that's how close god is and when i was talking with someone at one point it just came out of my mouth like this you know god is not elsewhere <laughs> and yeah. and i like that phrase cuz it's just a little off kilter instead of god is with you or god is here which we kind of it becomes we've heard that so many times i'm like god is not elsewhere that means god is not somewhere else god's here it just was important to me yeah and so well i think it counters the false because what what's the other thought? God is elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Then so that it, it immediately hits you with, well, no, I have kind of been living and behaving as if God were elsewhere. But wait, he's, God's not. And then yes. so that's what I love about putting it in that phrase. Phrases, are they matter. I think so too. I love words. I really do. I love words and I love transformation. And I'm doing my best to try to figure how to put it together and help women. <laughs> <laughs> so, and men, you're helping and me. And men. I'm helping all people, anyone who's listening. Go. So. Right. Anyway, but if to get back over to Trinitarian love, is that where we're headed? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah, I, well, okay, because yeah, on page thirteen, here's my favorite quote of the book. You said the organic engine that enables lasting change is the undercurrent of Trinitarian love. Yes, that yes. gets right at it. I mean, because we're talking about change, transformation, formation, as you're saying, and the organic engine that makes that happen, lasting change, it isn't just well, grip my teeth and try to think better thoughts. It's no, the un- undercurrent of Trinitarian love, or Dallas would say, immersion in Trinitarian reality. Mm. But love is ev- even more to the point. So, yeah. yeah, let's go there. Yeah, I love that too. I mean, this has just been a reality of my life, and I count it pure grace. I was describing this to someone the other day that for some reason, and I assume this is true of most Christians, but I do talk to a lot of people, and I realize not everyone is intentional. You know, for some reason, it's been important for me to be very intentional about doing my best to track what God is doing in and through me. And and then I've been very enamored again with transformation. I, I think it's amazing that I can be one way now and another way that's hopefully healthier later. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's part of the good news. I get to change. And so as I was pondering all of that, as I'm writing this, I'm realizing, I mean, I did, I started writing the book and I didn't have kind of the love piece in there. I wasn't almost done or anything, but I was a third of the way through. And I'm realizing, you know what, there's some, there's a hole here. There's something missing. It's like, I can't just do thought work in a vacuum. And I realized what it was, was this undercurrent of love that we, that we can be mindful of. And uh, it's like, it's this kind of holy foundation that we can journey on. And since we've been Anglican now for eight years, you know, I didn't talk about the Trinity much before, but now I do because my church is called Holy Trinity. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so Trinitarian love has really come to the fore in my life in the last eight years or so. And so I can't just talk about the love of God. I want to, well, what's what's God's love and what's Jesus' love and what's the Spirit? And so there's this beautiful verse in 2 Corinthians 13, 14, it's a blessing, of course. It says, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. 
And I love that blessing. And so I kind of riffed on, on this in the book about, you know, especially in the voice of God chapter, you know, we've got all these other voices. Well, what's what, how can I hear the voice of God? Well, according to this verse, the voice of God would come through with love, right? The voice right. of Jesus would come to you full of grace and truth. And the voice of the spirit would have an undertone of loving togetherness, right? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. And yeah. so I encourage, I encourage anyone who's taking on thought work to have a twin rail right next to it where you're sinking further in to the grace and love and fellowship that's available to you. Cause that's what you already have what you need. Mm. We can make a big list of things we have. Of course I have a whole bunch of other lists. I have a, a wonderful husband, a beautiful family. I live in some, I can make a list, but I wanted to start with the thing I know we have for sure. And that's God's love. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the corrective. I mean, Jesus really, he taught in the world of ideas as well. Yeah. I mean, that that's one of the things Dallas was so helpful to me was to, to realize Jesus was offering narratives. And one of the primary ones is, is the nature of, of God, yeah. who, who is God and then the kingdom, like that it's here. And you put those two together, a loving God is with you and here, oh, not elsewhere. Yes. And now this begins to change. Wait a minute. This is, we have a God who is actually out for my good. That's, that changes everything. And if I live in the kingdom that has, it is full of provision and power and protection and all the things that we say, we live in the strong and unshakable kingdom. Now that is a thought. That's a new way of, of approaching and thinking that's in, I would say, setting your mind on things above. Yes. And when you do that, then formation, Christian formation, formation into Christ likeness can begin to happen. So I have to go here, Jim, because I didn't see it coming, but Wonder Woman, oh. Wonder Woman, which by the way, I'm just going to say, I really love that movie. The first one, I didn't care for that. Well, yeah, I'm with you. We don't yeah. need to go into the second I know. one, but yeah. I, I didn't see it coming. I'm not a huge, I mean, it's Wonder Woman's DC, right? Not Marvel. I don't Right. I, I, I like Marvel that. better too. I'm with you. I get it. Oh, I don't even know the difference. People should be mad at me now, but he doesn't know the difference. But anyway, superheroes. <laughs> But I, someone said, no, you would, you'll be surprised. This movie's really good. And it was, it was really, I thought it was well done. And, um, but I didn't think, oh, wow, here that comes. But the, you know, Wonder Woman actually helped you come up with this, this understanding of, of your own inner world and stepping into that. So I won't, you tell us the story. Yeah. Well, I mean, of course, I mean, the hero, the hero's journey and the heroine's journey is in every you know, character driven movie anyway. So this is not something new, but it really struck me that scene that I, that I describe in the book is really the inflection point of Diana stepping into her voice. You know, we're talking about thoughts here, but voices as well. And, and not only are there voices happening in us, but there's also a way in which we all need to find our voice. And again, I think attached to that idea is um, the true self coming up more and more naturally, right? The, my actual, mm -hmm. who God made me to be being expressed. So I talk about that sometimes as finding my voice. Mm -hmm. And so that's the, that's the image of what's going on in this scene. And if you've seen the movie, it's, it's the scene called No Man's Land. And they get, there's like the American side and the German side. I think it was Germans. It was World War I. Mm -hmm. And of mm -hmm. course, so Wonder Woman comes over with um, this guy, Steve, who's a pilot, and he's saying, um, you can't go out there. There's this big, huge, terrible, desolate, like blackened 
space. And on either side, there's bunkers. And he's like, we can't go out there. It's been a year. Everyone's just been in a bunker doing nothing. But Diana hears that and she will have none of it. (laughs) She's like, well, you may not have come to do this, but this is what I'm going to do. So she turns around, puts on her crown. We see, you know, her and her Wonder Woman outfit. And she now she's climbing up the stairs out of the bunker and out into the field. And a bullet comes from the other side and in slow motion. And she lifts her arm and the cuff ricochets it off. And um, the music is swelling. You know how movies are. It's just cinematic. Yeah. And she just makes her way across. So now she's walking and repelling bullets and then running And then she gets halfway across and they start firing machine guns and she hunkers down and she puts herself behind her shield and it's just a melee. Now, I know some people are like, Jim, what are you talking about? What does this have to do with spiritual formation? But for me, I mean, I'm thinking um, the shield of faith, right? The, the the shoes of peace. I'm just thinking the the armor of God. Of God, yeah. And, And I'm also thinking... Um, this is a woman who made a decision. She actually does have everything she needs. She was trained as an Amazon warrior. And she decided not to listen to the naysayers. She decided to act. And it turns out that she did have what she needed because she went out in front and then all the guys followed her and they've been, you know, their war stuff. That's It's a movie. I understand. <laughs> right. But for me, the the irony, there was a great irony here because it was, it was the inflection point of Diana coming into her own, making a decision and acting in who she was. She found her voice. And I saw an interview uh, a few, whatever, after I saw the movie of the director and there were people who were telling her that that scene should not be in the movie because it was too long and it, you know, cut the pacing and what are we doing? And she fought for that scene because she knew that that was important. We needed to see Diana make the choice. And so I just point out how ironic, how ironic that a female director has to tell everybody else that, that a woman finding her voice is an important part of the movie. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I just thought it was right. kind of funny. But but it is important, and whether or not you care about um, you know action heroes, my my point was um, those bullets can be unhelpful thoughts, and you don't have to stay hidden in your bunker all the time. You could step out because you have trinitarian love. You've been given everything you need for life and for godliness, and not to mention the armor of God. I'm not talking about being reckless, but I'm saying more often than not on any given regular day, if an unhelpful thought is bombarding you, you probably have what it takes to maybe deflect it or reframe it. And so mm-hmm. that we're now we're back to Viktor Frankl. What are you going to do in the space? Yeah. And that's where you're going with this. And Diana in discovers like, okay, this is, I'm stepping into this. And for you, that was helpful to recognize because, and you list very, I mean, it's wonderful, the stuff you talk about, how you are able to understand, well, I have some of these things that are holding me back, things like I'm taking up space, or oh, yeah. you couldn't say I deserve. I mean, you were able to say, well, I need to step into this new way, which is trusting in Trinitarian love and the unshakable kingdom and saying, this is who I am and my voice. But I want to talk a little bit about how you define self-control, because I, <laughs> I, I didn't see it coming, and I really thought it was helpful. Yeah. Because when we talk about self-control, we know it's in the list of the fruit of the Spirit. 
And we think, when I think of self-control, as you point out, we usually put that in the negative. Like, well, uh, I really want to eat that chocolate right now, but I'm going to use self-control and not do it. Yes. But you frame it in the positive. You say, you write, we have the benefit of being able to make choices about what we think and what we do. And it's about taking positive action. So self-control, as you're defining, is I get to choose think, to think helpful thoughts. I get to choose to speak uplifting words. I get to choose to love and serve. In other words, self-control, and you say this on page 29, is the gift of being able to choose what is good. Yes. Not merely not do what is bad. Talk a bit about that because I think that's really important to look at that concept of self-control and not just see it as, well, I'm just not going to do the thing I want to do. But it is, no, I get to do these good things. Exactly. Yeah. And what I what I wrote there is exactly how I perceived um, self-control pretty much my whole life. It, it was It was almost exclusively only aimed at the things that I wasn't supposed to be doing. I'm not supposed to gossip. I am supposed to, like you said, diet. I'm, you know, not to be a glutton. Okay. So I'm going to use my self-control not to do any kind of sin that I'm not supposed to be doing. And I don't even remember how it got flipped on its head, but it just, it did. And I was like, wait a minute. Cause everyone also says, you know, you can't control anything. And that's true. You can't control other people and you can't control circumstances. But then I realized there's a fruit of the spirit called self-control. I was like, oh, I can control me. And I know that there's probably edges. That's a longer conversation. But in general, I do have agency. Again, I love that word because I think it's important for us to remember that we don't have to be stuck. We don't have to be a victim. And I realize that for some of us, there have been traumas where that's going to be a really long road to overcome. I'm not trying to minimize. I'm saying... I have self-control. Minimally, that means I get to make a choice. What does that choice look like and how can I go about making it? And what support do I need to help me make it? And right. so again, and it's, it's exactly what you read. It's in the positive. Self-control is about choosing good, not yeah. just not choosing bad. Right. Yeah. And then that, and flipping that is so helpful. And I don't think I've ever heard anyone do it. I mean, I've heard lots of sermons on the fruit of the spirit, but I don't think I've heard anyone do what you've done with self-control. So yeah, that's uh, I will steal that now. Yes. I will use it, but I will quote you. Okay. I will. Cause you know, I'm in the, I'm in the academy. I have to, I understand. the academic world. We have, to, we have to give credit to places. I'll, you know, footnotes. We live in the world of footnotes. I understand. So yeah. as Jim Fadling said, <laughs> right. then I'll quote you then self-control. Yeah. Doing what we choose to do the good. Man, the book is so good. I'm so excited for it. Yeah, we need this book, and uh, I hope uh, listeners will go out and get it. You're going to be at the Apprentice Gathering. Yes, I'm so happy. I'm doing a Thursday intensive, and we're going to go through the book. I know. It's going to be great. People, sh- people should sign up right now. Yes. I think, well, why not just do that? Because there's still time um, from when this podcast airs to sign up. And we're excited. We've got a, uh, a wow, It's the, the turnout's been fantastic for this conference. So good. But there's still some spaces, not a lot, but we do have space. And um, that would be fantastic. But Jim, uh, you, you've done great work here with this book. And I'm excited for um, how it's going to be a blessing to people. It's been a blessing to me. I'm so and glad. So thanks thanks for writing. I know it's, writing is hard. Writing books is a long, arduous 
uh, process. It is. And, and I think you have to be a little crazy to do it. I'm sometimes. pretty sure. But, yeah. <laughs> and so, but thank you for taking that on and writing this book. Uh, it's, it's really, really great. And so again, the name, the title of the book is Hold That Thought by Jem Fadling, uh, Sorting Through the Voices in Our Heads. It's really good. And do sign up for the Apprentice Conference and get in Jem's workshop while there's a spot or two left. So Jem, thank you. Thank and you. give give my love to Alan. Oh, I will for sure. And we'll see you guys when you're here in September. Yeah, I'll see you shortly. All right. Blessings to you. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Jim Fadling. I know I did. She is amazing. And her new book, Hold That Thought, is excellent. I encourage you to go out and get it. I hope you join me next time. Until then, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at James Brian Smith. And you can learn more about this podcast. And if you'd like to donate to the Things Above podcast, you can do so on our website, ApprenticeInstitute.org. Click the Donate Now button at the top of the page. It's really easy, and it would mean a lot to me. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend, and you can also subscribe, which means you're going to get them automatically each week. My hope, as always, is that one day if you're asked, what's on your mind? Your answer will be, Things Above.